Are you ready? Welcome to a very special episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you this afternoon, and I am so excited for this one. In just a few minutes, we will be speaking to the legend. I can't even believe he's here. We are going to be speaking to none other than 2012 Hall of Fame inductee Damon Allen. We'll be right back, and we are going to get right to the interview. Damon Allen had one of the greatest careers of any player to grace the Canadian Football League. Longevity may have been Allen's biggest secret as the San Diego native played a remarkable 23 seasons of freedom football. After a two-sport college career at Cal State Fullerton, the younger brother of Super Bowl 18 MVP Marcus Allen signed with the Edmonton Eskimos in 1985. Allen made his first big splash in the 1987 Great Cup as he came off the bench and threw for two touchdowns and ran for another, leading the Eskimos to a 38-36 come-from-behind victory over the Toronto Argonauts. Allen was named the top offensive player in one of the greatest games of Great Cup history. This is one of the days that, I, that you dream about when, when things are not going right for you, uh, but I worked through it, and, uh, and this was the biggest day of my career, and, and, and it came for the biggest time. Uh, came at a good time also. After stops in Ottawa and Hamilton, Allen returned to the Eskimos in 1993 and led the Green and Gold to another Grey Cup victory over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and again earned Offensive Player of the Game honors. Playing one season south of the border with the Memphis Mad Dogs, Allen returned to Canada, signing with the BC Lions for the start of the 1996 season. Allen spent his longest stretch with one team during his career, quarterbacking the Lions for seven seasons on the West Coast. It was 2000 where Allen enjoyed his most successful season with the Lions. Allen threw for 4,840 yards and 24 touchdowns, and on October 28, 2000, he surpassed the great Ron Lancaster to become the CFL's all-time leading passer. Damon Allen going long. He's got Justin touchdown. And with that, Damon Allen is the CFL's all-time leading passer. That year also saw Allen lead the Lions to a Grey Cup victory over the Montreal Alouettes, where he threw for 234 yards and two rushing touchdowns. At the age of 39, when most players are done their playing career, the Toronto Argonauts believed Allen still had something left in the tank and made the trade to bring him to the double blue. It was in the twilight of his career where Allen accomplished some of his greatest achievements, leading the Argonauts to a Grey Cup victory in 2004 over his former team, the Lions, and taking home the Grey Cup MVP for a third time. Allen followed up the Grey Cup victory in 2005 by throwing over 5,000 yards and 33 touchdowns, winning the CFL's most outstanding player for the first time in his career. On September 4, 2006, in the Labor Day Classic versus Hamilton, Damon Allen became pro football's all-time leading passer, breaking Warren Moon's previous record of 70,553 yards. Allen announced his retirement from football on May 28, 2008. At the time of his retirement, Allen was pro football's all-time leading passer with 72,381 yards, the CFL's all-time leading rusher by quarterback with 11,914 yards, and the CFL's all-time leader with 394 touchdown passes. Every hit that i ever taken in the CFL, every pass I've ever thrown, every yard I've ever rushed for, I did it for my family. 
So it doesn't happen every day where I get to speak to an all-time great and a true CFL legend. He's a four-time Grey Cup champion, a three-time Grey Cup MVP, a two-time CFL East Division All-Star, a CFL West Division All-Star, a CFL All-Star, 2005 Most Outstanding Player. He even won the 1993 Eddie James Memorial Trophy, which is handed out for the most rushing yards in a season. He is also 2012 Canadian Football Hall of Fame inductee. It is my honor to welcome the legend, quarterback number nine, Damon Allen. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on and uh, really uh, excited about what kind of conversation we're going to have today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, let's, I don't even know where to start. So I guess let's just start from the very beginning. You're originally from San Diego, California. How did your path to Canada and the CFL come about? Well, that's very interesting because I, I started in Pop Warner football and through Pop Warner football, then then there's different levels of football. You go from uh, Pop Warner to high school to, you know, university. And then during the time of university, now you're dealing with the potential of being drafted in the National Football League, uh, going to combines, playing in all-star games. Um especially during my time in the, you know, early 80s, um, there still wasn't um, much done for the quarterback quarterback that can run and throw. And so in, in those kind of situations, other than the odd guy, like the, you know, some quarterbacks uh, that um, did play in the Canadian football league, like Vince Evans, um, the few odd guys that, that could run and throw had opportunity to play you know, in the National Football League. But guys like Warren Moon, uh, J.C. Watts, uh, Conridge Holloway, these guys were all in the Canadian Football League. And so I knew coming out, um, they were trying to change my position at the time. So, But I also knew because of history and understood I followed football and, and quarterbacks uh, pretty much my whole life. and. And I knew that Canada was an option. And so I think that was was a role for me to really look at the Canadian Football League because I was a big fan of uh, Warren Moon. So when he didn't get the opportunity to play in the National Football League, same as me, he went to the Canadian Football League. So I knew that was another path, uh, a direction that I can go and and pretty much followed. Uh, he pretty much introduced me to the Canadian Football League from Washington play. So uh, you mentioned, you know, about being a quarterback that could run. Um, football greatness runs in your family, obviously. Your older brother, NFL in- Hall of Fame inductee Marcus Allen. How important was it for you to kind of create your own path? You know, you had your brother going to the NFL, but how important was it for you to be like, I'm going this way and I'm going ca- to carve out my own path? Well, it's very important, even though, uh, you know, the same bloodlines and pretty much the same um, approach to um, competitive football. You play with heart and determination and you want to, you know, be the best on the field. And so, you know, those characteristics that I <laughs> that I got from my older brother and we learned that from playing in the street and being very competitive among each other um, and playing against other streets. Um that Winston, that 1003 Winston Drive street was pretty good because we also had a couple other uh, brothers that are on our street 
the Jackson, Monty Jackson and, uh, and his brother, they also played in the National Football League for the Jets and the, and the Raiders. They went to San Diego State. So that street was very competitive. Um, and so you learn the, the competitive aspect aspect of the game of football or any sport you decide you want to play. And I think it all started from there. So um, I had the right mentality uh, and knowing when I came to high school, my brother played quarterback. Um, he was a high school All-American. Uh, they won CIF. And so when I'm coming in the fold and now it's like the pressures of being uh, Marcus Allen's brother, um, you know, also catapulted me um, to want to do and be the kind of football player that I desired to be. And so, yeah, there were pressure, but that pressure also pushed me to to excellence. And so I'm, I'm very thankful, you know, that he was uh, such a dominant player in high school. I mean, the guy played both ways. I mean, I never was in that position. I just played quarterback coming into high school, but uh, just the pressures of being Marcus Allen uh, also prepared me for, you know, what the future will hold as well. I mean, whether you're getting criticism or to be able to handle those things, uh, that prepared me in high school because, I mean, if you would have known um, my brother's situation, he was the number one player in high school, California. And so the, to be able to come after that and, he wins two CIFs. I mean, he he wins one CIF, and then I come from by, behind him, and I go back to back win CIFs at our high school. And so, uh, <laughs> I, but I think the thing that really pushed me right, really was uh, what I had to go through uh, of being, you know, coming behind uh, your brother, mm-hmm. you know, who is a, a high school All American in both positions defense and offense right so you joined the Edmonton Eskimos in 1985 as a backup to Matt Dunnigan what was your biggest challenge that you faced kind of getting acclimated to the Canadian game I think more so just getting used to the rules uh, how the game is played Um, you know when I when I went to Cal State Fullerton you know I came from a pro style system um so I understood uh, the passing game and triangle reads and, you know, reading zone and to be able to, you know, throw into the right uh, um, receiver, whether it's your first uh, choice or your second or your third. And so I think it would have been very difficult for me to make that transition to the Canadian Football League if I would have went to a school that, you know, ran the option and was predominantly a running team. But I came from the Pacific Coast Athletic, the PCAA, where it's Vegas, uh, Fresno State, uh, Utah State. And during that time in the 80s, uh, the PCAA was the number one passing conference in in college football. And it's the same, um, I guess, league where Todd Dillon came from. He led the nation in passing one year because he had, uh, (laughs) he was throwing the football like every down. Um, Where Ted Turner, uh, Tedford went as well. Uh, He was at Fresno State. And he had Henry Ellard and uh, Stephon Page as his receivers. And so uh, they threw the football. 
during the time I was at the PCAA, and they led the, like I said, they led the nation in passing as a conference. Um, so that really helped when I went to the Canadian Football League. And so what did I had to learn? You know, 12-man football, uh, the motioning, the timing. But when you talk about the passing game, it's pretty much the same. How you uh, read uh, the safety and, and and from there, you know, you, you know, if it's cover three, cover two, cover four, and zero blitz and all those things. And, you know, when they are coming at you at zero with pressure, then most likely they're bringing more guys you can block. And so you have to get rid of the football. And so I learned all those things and uh, from Edmonton. Uh, and it really helped, too, because I had Jackie Parker as my coach. And when I first got there, he said, he, we're, we're going to play you every game, whether it's a series or two. And that also prepared uh, my way. So I, I think that was the, probably the biggest challenge is, is getting used to, you know, what you can do with 12 men on the field compared to 11. You know, you mentioned Jackie Parker. You worked with a lot of great coaches in your career. Which mm -hmm. of the coaches really had the biggest impact on you? Wow. The biggest impact? Um, I know there's there's Adam Rita that uh, had a huge impact, and I ended up winning uh, three great cups with Adam uh, being involved, whether he was a coach, a GM, or just involved in the organization. But I learned a lot. And, I, you know, for me, I, I learned a lot from everyone. I mean, from Joe Popow, learned a lot from the short time that I had Huffnagel and, and learned extreme amount uh, from uh, Ken Austin. Um, because even with Ken Austin, those, the two, three years, the two years I had with Ken Austin, I was also MOP of the league. And so I don't take those those experiences uh, for granted and all the coaches that that have coached me because I'm also forgetting uh, Jackie Parker was a great <laughs> coach and I'm forgetting Ronnie Lancaster that also coached me. And um, and so I'm very thankful for all the. Um, the um, the input and insight and uh, the knowledge that was given to me to prepare me to go out there and perform because uh, I always had skill <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, yep. uh, and I also had football, uh, which I call FBI, you know, football intelligence. Um, but once I, you know, really understood how to play the game, 12 man game football with motion and all these different things, I mean, it really just extended, you know, and made me a better, football player once I had a great understanding. So I, I took from everyone. And that's the one thing that for me, you know, being in a plan all those years, I've always, you know, took heed to information uh, because, you know, we humans are like computers, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We store information and, uh, and all those information I store and what I learned from, from Jackie Parker to Ron Lancaster to uh, Huffnagel to <laughs> Adam Rita, all those different coaches, um, all that information stayed with me. And so whenever I got in really unique situations, it was like de de deja vu um, in certain uh, situations in ball games that I, I can actually uh, 
regather that information. And so it's not one coach, it's, it's many that, um, that really gave me insight and information to be able to use on the field for 23 years. So 23 years in the CFL, you played for six teams, including two stints with the Edmonton Eskimos. If you could do it all again, would you change anything? No, I wouldn't change anything because uh, that was the only way because I played in all the majority of half the te- uh, teams in the league. Uh, that's what made me also a, nas- a national brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't look at myself regional. I look at myself national because I played on multiple teams. I won great cups on multiple teams and I've been to stadiums, you know, at least 23 times at each the cities that I played for. Right. And so, um, yeah, ideally, you know, we would love to be like a, um, you know, someone that can play on one team for 20-something years, like Lou. <laughs> yeah. Lou, the kicker. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably the only only other option that I would love to have if I would ever stay with Edmonton, you know, all those 23 years. But that's not always the case with nine teams in, in the league. And so, because you also learn that because there's only nine teams in the league, you learn not to burn bridges. Because <laughs> <laughs> you because you never know, you might be back with that same team uh, before. And so, you know, for me, it's uh, always the importance of being a professional on and off the field and the opportunity of performing and playing because when you play well, the other eight teams are watching. So <laughs> that's one thing I've learned right away when I was in Edmonton. The fact that I played good, well at a very early um time in my career all the other teams and so <laughs> we're watching so if Edmonton ever got in a situation that they didn't want me no more I, I knew the other eight teams did yep so you know you talk about being a professional and being a professional on and off the field was there ever a big rival that you had like was there ever a guy that you loved and hated to play against I don't know if I hated to play against um because I wasn't scared of no one. <laughs> I mean, when I played, I thought I was the best guy in the field. You know, one of the best players on the field. And But there are quarterbacks that you play against that, you know, that bring the, the best out of you as well. And so, you know, I come from an era where, you know, where, man, I mean, if you're not on your A game, man, I'm, I'm always playing against another Hall of Fame quarterback. And so... You know, when you're playing against Flutie, you're playing against Dunnigan, you're playing against Ricky Ray, you're playing against uh, who else? Uh, Dave Dickerson. I mean, these are the quarterbacks I was playing against, you know, week in and week out in the two. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm not even going to miss out my my, my good friend, uh, you know, Tracy Ham. I mean, he was a Hall of Famer as well. Um, so the level of competition, um week in and week out, I mean, kept you on top of your game. But, I mean, I appreciate all those guys because they were great competitors and they're in the Hall of Fame for a reason. But probably the one I enjoyed the most is playing against might have been uh, Flutie. Um, Competing with him, you know, game in and game out. And Matt Dunnigan and these guys uh, made it really fun and competitive. 
You mentioned Tracy Ham. Tracy Ham at one time played for the Baltimore expansion team, which mm-hmm. brings me to my next one. In 95, you headed south of the border to Memphis to be a part of the Mad Dogs. What was that experience like for you going down to Memphis? Um, it was a great experience when, it, when, it, when you come, when you look at it in a, um, in a leadership uh, standpoint, ownership standpoint. I mean, the owners, uh, they had a lot of money. They, they, I think that year was the first time that the CFL never dealt with any, uh, you know, monies far as uh, any team potentially folding because I think that year, I think they were – collecting $3 million from, from their ownership of the other leagues. And so the league had some money to be able to help teams out during that time. But I think the only thing, the only difference in the, the, the what I'd say, the challenges, not struggles, the challenge that, that the U.S. teams had was more so the field situation. Uh, we're playing on different fields compared to the CFL uh, 65 yard width, 110 yards, and we're playing on trying to adapt the CFL game on a 53 and a half uh, with a U.S. style football on a CFL style brand, you know, wide open field. And I think that was the biggest challenge that the U.S. teams had. But as far as ownership and money, and uh, it was a lot of fun in Memphis, uh, the city. Uh, was great. Uh, they welcomed me, gave me the key to the city. Uh, they treated me very well uh, in Memphis, and and I'm pretty sure they treated Matt Dunningham very well. In uh, was that Shreveport? He was in Shreveport, and was it Shreveport or Birmingham? I can't remember which one it was. Um, Birmingham was Tracy Ham. Uh, wasn't Birmingham? Uh, wasn't Baltimore? No, no, Tracy? it was a it was a uh, Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> Barracudas, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Matt Dunnigan yeah. was in Birmingham. Uh, yeah. I forgot who was the quarterback in Shreveport at the time. Um, but I know uh, AC was in uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> yep. So do you think it would have been – do you think the CFL expansion into the States would have lasted longer if they had had something similar to what we have today with that deal with CBS Sports? No, you still would have to deal with the field situation. Yeah. And I think that was the biggest challenge. Okay. Now, it was in the same time scheduling of games because now you're dealing with uh, U.S. college football and uh, the SEC and, you know, and all those things. So scheduling is huge during that time. And the field challenges is probably the biggest situation. Because I find that U.S. fields, it seemed like the players are getting bigger and, and they seem like they need to go to bigger fields as well. And so if the fields would have been different uh, in the States, it, it would have been all okay. But the 65-yard width field never fit in any of the U.S. stadiums. Mm-hmm. So we had to adapt um, of trying to play CFL football on a 53-and-a-half width field. I mean, 53 and, and 65 is, is a big difference. So we yeah. talk about another seven yards of width of sidelines, you know, close yeah. to 14 yards of width um, made a tremendous amount of difference. And even when I'm talking about in Memphis, we played it on grass and turf. 
we tried to expand it to grass and turf and that was difficult as well because we we found ourselves just playing on the grass even though we had yeah <laughs> seven yards on the outside of turf and it was you know you didn't know what cleats to wear um we almost didn't play our first game against the BC Lions because they didn't like the field situation. And so they almost canceled the first game. So it, it was, uh, that was, I would say that was the biggest challenge, but everything else was, to me was, was really good. You mentioned the BC Lions, which you were a part of for a number of years. And then we also talked earlier about Dave Dickinson. So that leads to Toronto. Um, in 2003, at 39 years old, you went to from BC to Toronto. How excited were you to have that fresh start where really you dominated as an Argo? Well, that that was a whole unique situation in itself. <laughs> that's a whole, that's, that's something that... Uh, that I'll write in the book to be able to uh, tell that story. <laughs> but the transition from uh, BC to Toronto, you know, what I love most about it is um, the oldest franchise in the Canadian Football League took on the oldest quarterback. And like I said, I always say it was a match made in heaven. And so and to feel that you, <clears throat> you're the missing uh, piece, because before I got there, I think they went to three Eastern finals in a row and, and lost. Um, so, I mean, th that feels really good. The team that wants you, mm -hmm. they believe you can win and they believe that you, you can be a difference in winning a championship. Um, that's why I made that, uh, that situation becomes Toronto so special. And then at the end of the day, you playing the team that uh, got rid of you <laughs> in the Great Cup, that made it even uh, even more special. Mm -hmm. And added bonus to that is my brother was at um, the first game watching the Great Cup game um, in my career, and he was there. So that's amazing. My, yeah. So that what what you knew we were going to win. I had the, all the motivation uh, um, to go out there and perform and play well. So you won four great cups. Would do, was that the one that really meant the most to you? Because your brother was there. It was you know at your age, you're now dominating the league where BC traded you away, kind of thing. But was would you say that that was really the one that really meant the most to you? I don't know if it meant the most to me. Uh, I believe that was the best story. Mm -hmm combined story when you look at uh great cup week and everything that went on i mean the, don't forget i mean in 93 <clears throat> that that was a big story too because i i, I made the the big announcement that <laughs> um the racism was a, a problem in our league and you know i had to go out there after that making that kind of statement i had to go out <laughs> and go out there and perform and uh so that they all had their unique stories uh, a uniqueness about winning the championship and when you look back you understood like what it took you know I was also in a BC a team that um, should have went to the Grey Cup in 99 and we end up you know losing by a fumble <laughs> and so I spent the whole off season trying to get our team back there and we ended up going back in 2000 playing the same team that we played in the Western final at their home field. And we ended up beating them 
And so that became the first team that was below 500 to win a, a great cup. We won it all, all on the road. So <clears throat> that's a unique story. It is. Uh, but I mean, I don't know if they, they, it just the one in Toronto was made, it was really special because all the dynamics uh, mm-hmm. from my brother to playing the team that got rid of me to, you know, you know, winning, you know, Pinball Clemens being the first African-American coach to win a great cup. I mean, so mm-hmm. there's so many dynamic stories that, that took place during that time. But they're all unique, and um, I won't put one ahead of another. But I, I believe that I have four incredible stories yes. to be able to win a championship and, and understood what it took, and to be able to recognize, you know, the guys that I played with, um, and they were also the uh, you know a big difference in that game. I mean, so I mean, it's tough to win a great cup if you don't play good good defense either. And so I, 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 there were times that I, I played with good defensive teams. And so that, that made it easier. Yeah. And, you know, you won four great cups with different teams, different dynamics. So you're right. All of them have really great stories. Another great story for you. 2006 was a really great year for you. Uh, you broke the all-time passing record on Labor Day against the Hamilton Tiger Cats when you hit Arlen Bruce with a 29-yard pass. What was the feeling that you had? when it hit you, you're like, I just did it. Well, I think what, when you do a feat like that, um, it comes down to, I, I think back, you think you think back about your health to they have the ability to play that long, uh, to play at a high level. Uh, and then at the same time, you, you always think back to, from the foundation, um, what pushed you to, you know, to get to that point. Uh, you also have to understand, yeah, even though I was celebrating the all-time leading passer, you know, breaking Warren Moon's record, um, but the first record I broke was Ronnie Lancaster's. Yeah. You know, 16 years. Uh, I broke a year 16, and he played 19. And I remember sitting on the middle of the field with uh, Matt Dunnigan, and we were looking at the record books. This is one of my first years starting first year playing in this Canadian football league and we're looking at the record books and we're saying, man, this guy, Ronnie Lancaster played 19 season. He threw for 50,000 yards. I mean, you couldn't fathom during that time, but it's, it's interesting. I broke it in year 16 and I put it to what? Um, 72,000, but Ronnie, Ronnie Lancaster held his record for 22 years. He held 20, 50,000 yards 20 for 22 seasons. Mm-hmm. I put it to 72,000 yards and I didn't hold mine t- three seasons. Yeah, Anthony. So it tell, it, that, let, that, that let me know about the evolution of the passing game and, and how much has changed, you know, over that time when Ronnie Lancaster was playing to the time, you know, I was playing it now. You think back now, it's like, man, they're throwing the football even more now. So, um, it's just inc- incredible when you really look at the dynamics. So, so yeah, it, it was it was a, incredible um, from the first time bringing fifty thousand yards, 
to you know put in the seventy two thousand and then watching uh, Anthony Cavill break it, <laughs> and then you know Anthony Cavill puts it at seventy eight seventy nine thousand yards, and then you look at it where it is today. You know when you combine NFL and CFL combined. I mean, at one point it was you know myself Anthony Cavill and then you know Brady and Breeze and all those guys behind at third and fourth. Now I mean, it's like role reversal. You got Brady Breeze. Uh, Anthony, I think Anthony might be third now, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm fourth all time in passing yards. So, uh, what a phenomenal, uh, you know, when you look at it now and where the evolution of the passing game has yes. went to. And so, yeah, those are all great experiences. Um, and now you're watching football now, and you're seeing, you know, a lot of good quarterbacks. Um, you know, doing amazing things. You know, we talk about Brady, how he played into his 40s, you know, and then there was Breeze, and then, of course, Aaron Rodgers is getting close up to there. How did you do it to play so long and keep your body healthy? Like, how were you able to perform at the high level you did for so long? Well, I think sometimes it's, um, you know, what what separates... <laughs> me from Brady Breeze and and you know and all those guys they didn't run with the football and so I mean when you think of myself playing that long and you know and I was a runner of the football as well as passing the game uh, you know that's a feat that sometimes you just scratch your head you know you understand how you got through that because. I'm also the third leading rusher in CFL history. Mm-hmm. So with that dynamic, I think it has a lot to do with, um, you know, skill. Um, it also has a lot to do with um, football intelligence and, and, and really understanding how to play the game. Um, because when you understand how to play the game, then you can also put yourself out uh, – keep yourself out of harm's way. Like, for example, zero blitz. And mm-hmm. there's never bringing seven. And, you know, the seven free guy is yours. And so either you're going to take that hit or you're going to get rid of football before he gets there. And so I think over that combination of all those things that I that, that I said, and, and also, like it says, you know, to be able to stay healthy in those 23 years is also a big factor. So sometimes it's just – you can't really put your finger on it, what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just know that you you had the ability to play 23 years and you, you managed to stay healthy those 23 years. And look, out of that 23 years, I might've been a starter, what? 20 years, yeah. 19, 20 years out of the 23. So it takes a little bit of everything. I mean, you can call it luck. You can call it uh, uh, the covering of the, the the most high God that is keeping me healthy. Uh, and so I don't use the word luck. I, I use the word that I was covered. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what made you decide to end it um, when you did? When, what, what made you say, you know what, I think it's time to walk away? <laughs> it's interesting because I used to... Uh, have fun with this as well because I think in year 19 or something like that I asked Ronnie Lancaster when he was coaching me 
you know, when was it his time to go? Yeah, we used to get a kid during the time he was coaching me at Edmonton. He said, man, when when players start dating your daughter, that's, that's when it was his time <laughs> to go. And we used to laugh about that. Um, but I think um, even when I retired, I think I could have played a, a few more years. Mm-hmm. And what made me stop really is because I didn't want to go to another team. Because during that time, uh, the Ken Austin took the job in Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. and he wanted me to come over. And yes, I could have probably went over there in Saskatchewan, and might have played probably one or two more years, and then, you know, give it up. But you know, I think at that time I, I was, I was done moving around. Yeah, and so that's why I decided to stay in Toronto, and try to compete for that job and and retire in Toronto. But I could have played two more years easy. And then, of course, 2012, the Hall. You got the Hall of Fame induction. How did you find out you were going into the Hall of Fame? Well, I was already doing a lot of things for the league at that time because I retired in 2008. Mm-hmm. And it was a phone call by the commissioner. And, you know, like I said, I was doing things with the commissioner already. And so the phone call wasn't nothing <clears> – <throat> out of the ordinary. I'm just like, hey, how you been doing? Hey, what we got to do this week? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm calling for something else. I'm like, and so when, whenever you get the news, even though you <laughs> you know in the back of your mind based on the years played and what you were able to accomplish that you, you're going to be a Hall of Famer, but it's still totally different when you actually hear the words that you're going to be a Hall of Famer and you're being inducted. And, and so it still comes to somewhat of a surprise because just to hear the phone call and hearing the words that uh, you're going in um, to the hall is makes it special. You know what I mean? I don't think you ever prepare for it, even though in the back of your mind, you believe you have the statistics and the qualification <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to be a no brain brainer uh, hall of famer. But uh, just hearing the words from the commissioner is, uh, is always special. And, you know, lastly, I know that you're always involved in football. What have you been doing since then to now? Uh, still training quarterbacks, uh, still involved in, in football at the grassroots level. Um, over the last couple of years, I've, you know, I've had interest of, uh, you know, getting to, to the CFL and uh, coaching and uh, having given up on it. But uh, at the end of the day, <laughs> It's all about opportunity, and if someone gives me opportunity, I know that I can help a, a football team mm-hmm. um, because I have a lot of information. I'm creative. Um, I know how to play this game, um, and I can teach this game. So mm-hmm. um, still doing a lot of different things, from charity work to uh, promotional events, uh, speaking a variety of different things, but, uh, and, and also involved in some, uh, projects, uh, part of some boards. I, I, you know, I can never sit still. I mean, to me is, you know, I stay busy, I stay active, I'm healthy. Um, I can still spin the football. I can still play if <laughs> somebody <laughs> needed me to play in a few games and still definitely play the game because, um, the way the rules are, they're, they're really keeping the quarterback safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
during the time when I was playing, you know, anything went, hit the quarterback low, hit him in the helmet, late hits, all those those things that I was dealing with for 23 years when I played. And they even moved the hashes in for the quarterback. So (laughs) they made throwing easier now, you know, throwing to the field, to the boundary easier. So now they're basically throwing from the middle of the field. I was working for the Stampeders when the uh, when they moved in the hashes last year, and I walked out on the McMahon. I'm like, "What is this?" <laughs> it's, still, it's interesting, believe me. They still had both at McMahon, right? They hadn't gotten rid of the old ones yet, so you had like the double sets. It looked really silly at first, and I was like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> yeah, they're the size of the goalposts now, and so. Um... There's more room to the boundary, and now throwing to the field is closer. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounded like to me they made it easier for the quarterback, not necessarily uh, scoring to me is still the same, but yep. they made it throwing the football from sideline to sideline easier for the quarterback. So, I mean, kudos. I mean, if, that, if that makes the game and uh, that allows quarterbacks to spread the ball around easier, then so be it. Sir, it was an honor to have you today. It was an honor to talk to you for a little bit. It was, it's just been great to sit here and talk football and hear your story. I really appreciate you coming on and I thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of the game. Still watch it to this day. Still have my pen and pencil. Uh, still write down, being creative uh, and still teaching the game. So I'm, I'm excited about, you know, the direction, uh, where the game is going and, um, looks like it's in good hands. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? Uh, I think everybody is like pointing to, uh, you know, p- potential rematch of the great cup, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh this year. <laughs> um, if anybody's been watching CFL football, it looks like it's going in that direction. I don't know. BC's playing some really good football right now too. So, yeah. And then of course with the with the Grey Cup in BC next year, I mean, it's going to be a good. It's going in the right direction for sure. <laughs> no question. And um, you know, BC is turning the corner, and, and like I said, they have some talent. And uh, um, long as they become you know consistent, I mean, then I mean they definitely have the the capabilities of uh, representing the West. No, that's no question. You bet. So again, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. We'll keep in touch. I'd love to talk to you more. I mean, if, if, if that opportunity does come from a team, I want to hear about it. (laughs) Hey, you know where to find me. You bet, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.